Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Have you ever waited, peers? Waited for the right time? Waited until everything was in order? Waited until you'd believed you'd done enough, become enough, and had enough? Today's guest, co-founder and chief of strategy at Draw History, Angel Chen, was told she should wait. Gaining a Bachelor of Law and Commerce from the University of Western Australia, it wasn't until a stint of volunteering at World Vision Australia that Angel realised she didn't have to wait and could make a difference right now. In today's episode, powered by Shopify, Angel shares her journey of working to create community change, why your career should be a jungle gym instead of a linear ladder, and how society's expectations can stop us from making a difference now. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. And help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, welcome, Angel. Angel, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. It's lovely to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to this show um, for the last, I would say, weeks and months, and I'm I'm so glad I'm finally made it this morning. <laughs> I love it, and so are we. You know, look, you and I recently connected. Well, as you mentioned, probably now about six months ago. But you know, when <laughs> I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing as a social entrepreneur, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. Amazing. So look, Angel, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Um, first of all, um, so my name is Angel Chen and I'm the co-founder and chief of strategy, um, here at Draw History. Um, Draw History was an organization that, um, I co-founded around six years ago. We just celebrated our six year anniversary two to three weeks ago. So I'm very excited. Um, and it's a strategy and design consultancy. Um, that's really exists to, I think our whole mission is really around how do we um, build futures for people and with people who really need tomorrow to be better than today. That was our mission, you know, for the last six years. And what that really looks like is working with incredible organizations um, and looking at what their problems are, what are their goals, and how can we help them achieve that? And whether that's through strategy, through branding, through um, web design campaigns and things like that, we really work with them to just help excel their impact in the community. Oh. I absolutely love it, Angel. And, you know, I think I read that you guys have served over 150 nonprofits or something wild like that, probably more in the thousands now, but like it's, it's incredible what you guys are doing. And, you know, I think I also read that it was from like London to, you know, Southeast Asia to Oz. So, so interesting. And I can't wait to dive deeper into your work. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what did your parents do and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, so uh, that's a really interesting question because I was raised by a single mother. So growing up, just seeing her work multiple jobs just to be able to provide a better life for myself and actually have the opportunity to move from a very small town in China to beautiful Western Australia here. Just from young, you know, you learn that you work hard and you make the impossible possible, you know, for you, for your families and for those that matter to you. So that was that was one thing that I took away. But more specifically in her role, so I think around 20 years ago, she started building businesses. So she's an entrepreneur herself. I see her as a trailblazer. She, you know, goes into very male-dominated industries um, and she makes a footprint and a mark for herself. And I think that's something that I've always admired about her, um, that she's not afraid to do anything, take on any challenges. And um, that's something that was always in the back of my mind growing up going just because you are you know Asian you're a female and um, for me I, I'm particularly petite as well um, all of those um, doesn't really limit and you know even if society says oh okay because of this this and this um, you should go into this career and not do this um, I think growing up with someone like my mother has always taught me that's not the case you set your own path so that's a bit about my mom so I only grew up with her so yeah that's it. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I love that. You know, strong women. I also grew up with a family of super strong women. I'm one of three girls and my mum is also such a trailblazer. You often wonder how they do it. For you back then, you know, as a teen, even growing up in WA and, and kind of seeing your mum, how do you think that shaped your view then and how do you think that's changed perhaps or evolved to kind of the you now and and how you see the world and I guess that influence that she has? Yeah, um, I think 
growing up, um, she was the eldest, um, even within her family. She had um, two younger brothers. And for me, you know, my mom was always the one that made a lot of the decisions that had her own business. So I'd really thought, okay, being a female male, there wasn't any differences to what you could achieve and what's possible. And I think that was kind of my my values growing up and my thinking. Um, and I think now looking back, you know, 10, 15 years later, you realize that it wasn't as simple as that. There was many, I think, hardship and challenges that she would have gone through, but probably just brushed aside or not shared it with, with me. And then, you know, when I enter even university and the workforce, you realize, wow, there's so many these it's not even ceilings that they, they state. It's these unsaid ceilings, these unconscious biases that, that you only notice once you experience them yourselves. And it takes me back to one of the earlier business meetings we had when I started Draw History. And we were meeting with, you know, a nonprofit and they were a lovely organization. Then we met with the CEO. It was a male figure, maybe in his 50s or 60s. And I went in for the handshake and he was like, oh, I didn't expect that from you. And I was like, what What do you mean? It was like it, your handshake was just a lot firmer than, than I expected. And it took me a second, but I I think I responded with something like, thank you, like you're welcome. Like that's great to hear. But it, I think just going back and replaying that, you know, um, in the days like after, I just went, that's actually why I love this. That I love challenging these assumptions that people have and, um, and and you continually um just help like just shape and reshape um the thoughts and um mindsets that people have um around you and and yeah I really love doing that. <laughs> I absolutely love that story. Good on you, you know, especially <laughs> the young you who was just starting out. Why do you think we have these unconscious biases and how can we start to evolve ourselves to not have them? It can be super hard. Sometimes we don't mean to be offensive or we don't mean to belittle someone, but we do. You know, what advice would you do you give to us on that? I think this is a big one. Um, you know, I think unconscious bias, it's probably something that's existed for, you know, centuries or as long as, you know, as long as we've existed. And I think um each of us, you know, maybe it's not in gender, maybe it's not in, you know, it might be in other areas, we will have these, you know, small unconscious biases based on the way, you know, we grew up and our worldviews and, and where we grew up as well. So I think, you know, the, the challenge that I put to myself every day is how can I continually learn more um, and challenge my own assumptions? So um, I think it's about meeting people where they are at and meeting yourself where you are at in areas that you don't know too much about. And it's to continually ask those questions and learn. And I think that's how we can slowly shift the conversations or the way we, we talk about things. When was a time perhaps in those early days or recently where you really felt like you learnt something big, something that challenged your previous perception. Was there a time maybe at university or in those early days when you were pitching or even in the last 18 months of the pandemic where you were forced to learn something big? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think 18 months ago, so I think this is around um, March 2020, um, I had been running the organization with my co-founder, um, who 
who now is my husband. So we were, we've been running the organization for five years. And last year, he had um, decided, you know, for us to actually grow and excel in our business, we also need to continue upskilling and learning. So he had, um, as his next step, he had taken a role um, with Google over in Singapore um, around um, how do you equip the next billion um, next billion users to go online for the first time. So it was a role that meant he would travel to thirteen countries um, in the next you know twelve to eighteen months and learn learn from the communities that really needed tools to help them go online for the first time. An incredible opportunity, which meant I would then be running Draw History alone solely for the first time. So taking on, you know, all of his responsibility as well as my own. We had a fantastic plan to do fly in, fly out every month in Singapore and I would be based in both cities. And then as we all know, uh, something happened March 2020 and we had packed up our apartment in boxes and we get a notification saying borders have now shut. <laughs> so it was, a, it was an interesting um, moment where, you know, Everything was going to be changing with the business, with the way we live, the way we work. And I actually thought, look, I was going to have to learn to lead a virtual team anyway. Now, the way I thought about it was the whole world is now also learning with me. So it was almost like, okay, this was something that I had to go through, but um let's actually learn from each other. I've got so many more people to ask about like what's worked, what doesn't work and things like that. So it was a very challenging time, but then it's about when I shifted that mindset and that thinking that really helped navigate through what then happened in the last 18 months. <laughs> Wowza, that is, what a story. You know, I feel like a couple of us have those almost, those crazy stories and we've had to change and pivot and shift I want to talk a bit more into the story. I want to talk about one of the earliest times that you made that shift. So uh, I think I read that you did a Bachelor of Law and Commerce at the University of Western Australia. And I think you started the business either when you were still at uni or just straight after. Could you talk to us a bit about that first decision or one of the early decisions you made to make that shift from, you know, a potential prospective career in law or, you know, commerce to what you were doing, your business? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, like when I think about entrepreneurship and businesses, I I wasn't someone who was born and just went, hey, I really want to be an entrepreneur. I really wanted a business. It was actually slightly opposite. Um, I think I mentioned earlier with, with my mom, um, but growing up, I, although I knew everything was possible, I also knew that this was my mother who always had three telephones with her at all times. And there was not a moment that we would get, you know, six hours of sleep because her phones would be constantly ringing with business. So that was something I also grew up with and went, I don't want that. And if I was ever to do a business, I don't want it to be like that. So growing up, pursuing law, pursuing commerce, um, Yes, I, I did have Asian parents. So, so that was, um, that was also one of the reasons, but, um, it was so that maybe there was a bit more, um, you know, a bit more structure to, to the jobs that I would have and the career paths that I could take. So I didn't think much about starting a business when I was in uni. And then, um, it was my time when I was volunteering with World Vision that really, really changed something in me. I think, 
I had always known that I wanted to volunteer to donate money and time to nonprofits, but it was always that, let me do my corporate career, get into my 40s, make enough money, then quit and then give back to the community and just work for a nonprofit. So that was what I had. But when I volunteered there for the last, I think it was six to eight months, um, I had, I was working with incredible people who was, you know, working with remote communities all around the world with children, with education policies and everything um, around World Vision so that every child or every person could get the opportunities um, that people like myself had. Then I saw the flip side of it, that when we were doing fundraising, when we were trying to get the support and galvanize the community to join us, um, there was a lot of negative comments. There was a lot of pushback. It was even comments like the money goes nowhere, yet we had the reports, we had the people, my colleagues had traveled to places like Rwanda. So it really just kind of changed something. And I thought, why am I going to wait um, 30 years or 40 years before I start making a difference and not just giving time and money, but skills that I have? Like, if I wait 30 years, what will happen to this industry? You know, how much change or how little change will this industry have because we have so many people with, with this type of thinking? And I just thought, why am I going to wait? Why not do it now? Um, why not give it my all when I've got the time, I've got the energy, I don't have a mortgage yet, you know, all of these things. Let's give this a go. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I did graduate, so I've got my degrees and things like that. But it's let's use my skills and my time for something that matters and with organizations and people who's working day and night to, to change the world for the better. So that was probably one of the, the moments that, um, that really shifted my thinking. Why do we wait or tell ourselves that we need to wait for five years, for 10 years, for 30 years to do what we actually want to do and make a difference? I, you know, I, I think a lot of it is to do with what, what, what is deemed acceptable and, and normal to society. I think the path is to go to school, go to uni, find a job, get married, maybe then work part time and then, then donate your time and money for a nonprofit. Like that had been something that, you know, whether it's the movies that we see, the books we read or the stories that, you know, our grandparents, our parents tell us about their path. Um, and I think that that influences you in, in a way in, in terms of, do I take that leap? Do I change that path? And and I also think it's a lot around, you know, what are those around you doing? So in your own friendship circles or or families, um, you know, what paths are they taking? Are, are they also wasting? Um, but I think my kind of take on it and my advice is, um, don't look around, just, just look at, um, look at you and look at what you are curious about and where do you want to spend your time and energy and, and really create that path, um, for yourself when you feel like you're ready. What if we never feel like we're ready, Angel? It's, it can be so tough. You know, I hear you. Yes, we need a leap. We need to pursue the dream. But sometimes it honestly can feel so overwhelming. And I know our peers out there listening might be thinking, I have to also like find a way to pay my bills. I, I've got to like live somehow. I want to travel when it's not COVID times. Like how can we get over the fear and perhaps all of our excuses? to actually 
not go out and do what we want to do. How do we get over that, you know? I think, and I think that's really interesting because in the last, you know, 18 months or, you know, when a lot of these travel restrictions came in, when, you know, a lot of us had to work from home and also have, you know, really felt like, you know, if we're not with our families during this time, like when can we see them? So a lot of change in a way we we live and we think as well. And I also think that's made us think about what really matters um, and where do we want to spend the next, you know, next six months, next five years? And what are we using our time for? I think that's, I think this has been a really um, interesting time for us to reflect on that. Um but, you know, when if I think, you know, w- what has people been doing in the last five or ten years and, and how has they made that shift, I think a lot of the, the times it's from people like yourself, Michelle. It's actually from people that's actually talking to people, like looking at how other people have done it so other peers can go, oh, I resonate with this one and I resonate with this one. Maybe I can try that step. I don't think we need to make a 180 shift in our life in you know in a day or in in an hour but it's the small changes and every person's change will look different it doesn't mean starting a business like we don't need like every single person in the world to do that you may change in how you feel the most comfortable and where you know that's something you're passionate about it can be within companies it can be within a government it can be anywhere and I think that's the whole thing is you you don't just have to be an an entrepreneur you can be an entrepreneur it's about finding the space that you feel like you fit in and it's something that you want to continually improve is is how I'd like to think about it so well said I want to dive into that next step you took. So it's 2015. You've just been through this whirlwind of, I think you said six to eight months of just realizing the gap really in the market and, and the way that you could make a difference. You decided to go out once you finish university and go straight into your business and co-found Draw History. Could you talk to us a little bit about those early challenges and the first few steps that you took to like get it off the ground? Absolutely. I think, you know, in parallel to, um, you know, working at World Vision, um, I was, I was actually completing my honors at the time. And it was, uh, you know, I had thought, oh, honors would be an easy year and, you know, I'd, I'd just get a job lined up and I'll just do World Vision and I'd also start draw history at the same time. So, um, it was a very interesting juncture at the end of 2015, um, where we had already started your history. It was, it was taking off. I had finished my, you know, seven year or so of law and commerce and, and, and honors and gone, where do I go? Do I, do we keep this as a part time, um, you know, part time passion project or do we launch, you know, in a hundred percent? And I remember at the time I had also been applying for a lot of, you know, law jobs as you, as you would. Um, and, and I did, I think during my time I had done over, I think over 10 or 12 internships and clerkships and paralegaling during my time. And it was that moment where I realized I've done all of this, but did I really enjoy it? Did I really enjoy flipping through 300 pages of a prospectus, looking at every single line and going, whose responsibility is that line? And it's generally not the law firm. So it, it was an interesting thing to reflect and go, do I want to do this for the next 30 years? 
um, or do I want to pursue something different? That's going to challenge me. That's going to allow me to step out of my comfort zone um, and grow and learn in ways that I haven't before. And I think it was that latter that really scared me, but really intrigued me. And, and that's why I took that step. Um, but at that same time, I was reading a book back in 2015 called Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And at that moment when I read, um, I don't remember what chapter, but there was that line that really stood out for me. And it was saying, don't see your career as a ladder. Like look at your career like a jungle gym. It's meant to go all over the place. You can still get to your ultimate goal, but your path there would be so much more richer and so much more um just just more immersed in in all of these different things you didn't imagine. And I just thought, yes, like if I really want to be in a position that can make positive impact globally, I don't have to do it by 30 years in a law firm, in the same law firm. I can do it through starting my own organization, um, you know, making impact. I might do some policy work later. I might then start another organization, but I can still get there. So that was some of the thinking that that went in when when I first started. Oh, I just absolutely love this. Why do you think we have that really linear thinking? You know, I think for us, like for myself in particular, coming from a very, I think just, you know, Asian background with Chinese parents, um, parents who had worked extremely hard with multiple jobs again um, to get to where they are. Um, I know my mom then took a different path and started her own business, but her thinking to me was, this is a riskier path. Like I actually did all of this so you could have a more stable path. (laughs) So it was almost going against what she had hoped for all along by working so hard. So there was that pressure to, if I was running a business, um, to also make sure that you know, it, it was going to be, is going to be worth it. And that, um, you know, it wasn't something that we would start for a few months and then stop and, and then change our mind again. And I think, um, that was something that when, you know, when Jeffrey, my co-founder and I thought about it, we said, well, no, this isn't just something that we're starting for a few months. This is something that actually aligns with our belief, aligns with our values. The model and the way we we make this happen might be different over time, but the ethos around like, how do we actually, you know, build new futures for people, um, you know, who, who really need tomorrow to be better than today? Like that really struck a chord with us. And that's something that, no matter what we do, whether, you know, in times of our career, we may be working for someone, we might be starting another organization, like that's something that will stick and and be the core to why we do what we do. I just want to acknowledge you for that because I think that's just so amazing that you found that value in your core. And as you said, it doesn't have to always come in the form of a of a business. It, it could also be working for someone else or whatever it may be, but staying true to yourself on that. How can we figure out our why, our core value, our core truth? Yeah, I I think that's like, you know, the million dollar <laughs> question that everyone asks. I think for me, it's when I talk to my peers or even people around me, Um, I just start to look at where they are and I just really want to ask them, well, I know it's simple as like, you know, what matters or, or what do you value? And I know even these words seem like very, uh, you know, words we see everywhere now. But it's just having time out and just thinking about it. Like, 
what do I find precious in my life? Like if it's a core to, you know, two things or three things, what are they? And how can I embed more of that into my life? So I think it's it's baby steps. It's step by step. And eventually, you know, you find what matters no matter what you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's um, the way you approach your family, your friends, um, the way you volunteer, the way you pursue your passion. So it it's just being able to slowly draw those lines and connect it, but it doesn't have to be done in a day again. It's baby steps. And I think for me, um, a big part of it is just from my you know, from my mom, but also from my grandma who didn't get a chance to go to school. She was one of six um, children in her family. All the boys got to go to school and all the girls were deemed, well, you know, in 10 years time, you're going to be getting married. There's no point sending you to school. Um, And I just, that just really resonated with me that that was, there was something about that I just said that that's not good enough and I don't want to see that again. Um, I know it's not happening within my family anymore, but I don't want to see that happen to any families around the world. And, um, and a full circle moment was seeing my grandma take up English lessons when she was 60 years old. And she was so excited. It was her, you know, first day of school. And, you know, and I think that's when you see, you know, it, it may have taken 60 years, but change can happen. And I think that's when I say we want to build these new futures. It doesn't just apply to, you know, draw history in every single client we're working with, but also in our own lives. Like, how can we help create those new futures for, for people that matter to us? So, um, yes, I think that's, a very long story, but just kind of, you know, when you can slowly piece together and, and apply it and see your whole life through that lens as well. I want to talk a little bit about the build, you know, so how do we go from this abstract idea of this is my value, this is my truth, and this is what I want to do to a fully fledged organizational business that actually is able to sustain us. It can be very overwhelming, but what were the first few steps that you took to get the business off the ground? Yeah, um, I think back in 2015, uh, we literally rented a desk out of um, our university's co-working space called Bloom. Um, and so we literally got a desk that I don't even remember if it was $100 or it might have been free because we were one of the very first people to do that. And um, then my co-founder had also said, I'm taking the leap. And he had quit his full-time um, job working for the Australian um, government solicitors. So again, it was, we were just both going, let's just make that this leap. Um, we had, I think, you know, a laptop, an iMac and a desk. That's how we started. And we were very naive in thinking, look, we just want to change the world. We um, want to work with good organizations and we want to talk to corporates so that they would start working with amazing nonprofits and good organizations. And it wasn't that simple. <laughs> people didn't want to listen um, and people went, oh, so you're pro bono. So do do you, how do you make money? How is this a business? And um, when we talked about words like social impact, no one really understood that. And that was when we went, do we stay? Do we go to San Francisco? Do we move to Europe? But what, you know, what was the, and, and we just said, well, look, if we can make it work in Perth, it's going to work anywhere. And that's one thing we, we stuck with. So very little, you know, like cash when we started just the desk. Um, we also had 
everyone around us telling us we shouldn't be doing it and no one understood what we were doing. Um, So those are some early challenges. But for us, you just need to find that one or two people that believe in you, one or two clients that believe in you, and you start from there. And for us, one of our earliest clients, um, she found us through Instagram and she was in London and she worked with a lot of regional and remote communities. And it was a very simple idea of raising awareness about certain causes through um, accessories that people would wear um, day to day. And the organization was called Dimmer. And she had a lot of, um, you know, nonprofits supporting her. She'd galvanized support and she was like 16 at the time. And we went, how does she do that? Let's let's follow a bit of her trend and, and her company and let's support and work with her. So she was our first client. Um, and from there, I think we then built more connections and more relationships from her because we had done such a good good job in actually working with her to build her brand, her website. Um, and she had even got the logo design that we built to explain the work she does tattooed on her arm. So I think for us, that was like, wow, people actually, you know, it, it wasn't just something that um, they use for, you know, three months or six months, but it, it was something that they went, hey, this resonates with me. I'm going to keep it for life. And that was really special. I think it's having those one or two clients that believe in you. Um, it's about the relationships that you foster, especially at the beginning. Um, we still work with um, a lot of our clients that supported us um, five, six years ago. And that's been something that we really value. It's the relationships, it's the people, because, you know, the companies and the roles that they're in may change, um, but they want to take you where they go as well. So that was something really important for us. How do we build those strong, real relationships in a professional setting? I I think for, for myself, I think it's just, it sounds easy, but it's just to be authentic. It's just to be real. I think even right now, I'm working and managing over 15 different projects all at once. And it's like, how do you keep those relationships and make sure, you know, you're, you're not laid on something or you're not, you know, and I think it's being authentic. So I think like even with yourself for like a week and a half, I had lost my voice and I was like, this is, this is such a crazy time. Our company has, um, is growing. We're onboarding new people every single week and I've lost my voice. And I'm like, how do I, what do I do? Um, and it's just being honest and actually just sharing and being like, look, um, I'm going to be a bit slow this week because of this. Um, this is happening. And it's just sharing those snippets of your life with, um, with others, even if they're clients, even like they're also humans too. And sometimes they also crave that, that bit of connection and humanness, um, because, you know, in emails, I'm sure we know it's like, hi, so-and-so, yes, looking forward to speaking with you um, warmly, like, you know, all of those things that you just see and it's it's not as human. So, um, you know, you can pick up the phone and have a conversation and just, just also check in on each other. And I think the last 18 months have shown how core that is. Um, that the fact that everyone has so much more going on with their lives um, beyond what they're doing at work. And it would be silly to to forget that or to ignore that, to ignore the big elephants in the room. So um, just keeping it real and, and, and just being authentic and, and just building those relationships is, is how I see that happening. I absolutely love that. 
I want to talk a bit about team relationships, you know, obviously over the last six years, the business has grown, you know, and you mentioned now you're managing multiple projects and it's all happening and you're losing your voice as we all do as we navigate this time. (laughs) Can you talk to us a little bit about the growth of the business? When was the time you've really felt that it was like a proper business starting to kind of take off. And then I guess the team, how do we go about as we're growing, you know, building that core team and and building that authenticity within the business itself in terms of relationships? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think for Joy History, even from the beginning, um, I think I've mentioned, you know, people are at the core of it. Uh, we want to work with people and and for people, um, like I mentioned. So um, I always say that Draw History isn't isn't just myself, isn't just um, Jeffrey. It's actually um, made up of every single person that has inputted and built into it. At the very beginning, you know, we would have had a very small team. We would have had interns. And even with our interns that we had building into our company and sewing into it through, you know, work placement programs at universities, the little bits and pieces that they've added during their time builds onto the DNA of Draw History. So Draw History is made up of not just our current team, but all of those that have come before us, um, not before us, but before other team members. And I think every person we bring in shares that ethos with us that they want to do good work. They want to work with, um, you know, organizations that's making a difference. Um, and they all have that shared, um, passion for learning and being so curious about everything and that's also one of the things that we don't go if someone works with us they're going to stay with us for 30 years um our goal um as you know leaders in the company is every time they join our company how can we be you know when you think about let's say super mario and there's that little speed um booster it's like how can we be that booster for them and equip them with um you know new knowledge new skills so that whatever their next step is whether it's staying with us um in a new role um all going somewhere else um we've also been able to embed some of that draw history dna in in them and and in in their life going ahead um some of the most beautiful stories that we have is a lovely ex-team member she started off as an intern with us she then became a team member a paid employee um and then she went look you guys have changed my thinking I didn't realize you could work in social impact especially in Perth um and it actually propelled her to go I'm gonna spend some time over in Rotterdam in in um Amsterdam in you know just in the Netherlands to see what's what's all the social impact things that's happening there and she went there um and actually then became a director of like a foundation to actually bring a lot of um rare languages that remote communities speak online and be able to provide translation for that and now she's off doing incredible things and started her own social enterprise yet you know we still keep in contact every month and that's something really special for us it's both they give so much to to draw history but we would also hope that we can embed new thinking with them and I know that's just you know one one story but it's every single person that's in the organization that's our hopes and our dreams for them it's a people first organization um last year when covid had also you know um reached australia our first thought was how are our people doing you know the work can be slower we can delay the work we can delay the projects 
because our people are, you know, the utmost concern. And we made sure we did, you know, our check-ins every day, just just checking in to see how they are. Many team members had families overseas. They still haven't seen their families um, for three years now for some of them. Um, some of them has had um, babies during this time and they've not been able to meet their grandparents and they've celebrated their first birthday already. So it's really important that during the time they are with us and within our care, we consider them our family. So we always refer to each other as the Draw History family. Um, so when their family can't be here, we are that family for them. So that's one of our kind of core um, values and, and, and how we go about not treating our team, but like how, um, you know, how we think about our team culture. It's extremely admirable. I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, especially we're managing so many different things, you know, from trying to make sure we have clients and, and, and customers, et cetera, and the cash flow's good. And, you know, also just keeping people happy. <laughs> team, Like there is so much. And the fact that you guys have been able to build such a beautiful culture, you know, while you're still, you know, learning first time entrepreneurs, to, still learning the ropes. It's just so, so admirable. Oh my goodness, Angel. We could talk for days, but I am mindful of your time. I've got a couple final questions for you. And the first one is, what do you believe has been your greatest failure and win to date? Ooh. I think what I consider as like my greatest failure, I think it changes every day. Um, I think for me, I'm always constantly learning, but I think I wouldn't say failure as much, but um, it's interesting. I think my greatest failure or things that I need to improve on is being vulnerable. And I think because, like you mentioned, when you lead an organization, you do have to manage cash flows and all the multiple projects as well as the team, as well as rent, everything. And also sometimes when you feel like you're working on projects and when you work in social impact, sometimes you feel like you're taking three steps forward with them and then there's a setback due to a policy change or their funding's being cut and then it's two steps backwards again and it and it's really hard to to not feel everything. And and I think I've also just been someone that doesn't know how to show that enough. So to the team, I've always been the the strong leader that's um that has that's not you know that's not emotional when we talk about projects or when there are setbacks and I can just be that logical person that leads everyone through everything um but what I really do want to improve on is showing some of that vulnerability that um not every day is great and some days I am also burning out with everything I'm doing and I think they can only assume and see it when I have to take a few days off and I've lost my voice but it's like how do I actually share with them um, uh, before it gets to that point so I'm a big advocate for well-being because I want to make sure the whole team is okay Um, but sometimes I forget to do that for myself Um, and that's something that I really do want to learn um, how I can share that more and show that more. Biggest win I think for me, it I think it's twofold. I think it's firstly um, when we're able to actually embed and teach and guide 
our teams, our people around us to think differently um, and also make them actually see that they can change the world and that they believe it and they're inspired by the work that they do um, and, you know, and, and themselves as well and just build their confidence up. Like it's those little moments like that. Um, each of those is is a win for me. So that's something that I just love doing every day and that's what keeps me going. Um, and the second one is um, when we work with incredible people and projects, I think one of the most um, incredible projects we've worked on is actually with um, – the New South Wales um, multicultural, um, you know, uh, the, the department. And um, what we actually got to build was the first digital platform to house stories of survivors of violent extremism. And what we mean by that is survivors of, um, you know, the London bombing, the Bali bombing, and also the attack in Christchurch. And we got to work firsthand with all of those survivors and actually go, well, the media tells a story. Of, of what happened but we don't want that we want to create a space to house your stories your voice because that matters and that's the one that should only matter so how can we um, create that space so you share what you want and there are even snippets of like where we've done media clippings and gone this is what the media said about you how do you actually feel and it's just being able to create that space to hear these authentic voices about things that have shifted and changed not only their lives but those around them and even the whole world so when these projects come to life and you work with these people I think those are the the biggest wins that I thought I probably couldn't have done if I stuck to a corporate law career. Um, yeah, so those would be some of the wins and, and improvements. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Before the final question, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Angel, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for being vulnerable with us today. You know, I know you mentioned that, that that's a struggle. I mean, you know, we all have our our things, but you've been incredibly vulnerable with us and so open and just through your story, you know, I think we can all just see, we can become empowered by the fact that regardless of the color of our skin, what we look like, how petite or tall we are, you know, male, female, whatever it may be, <laughs> if we hone in to our center and to our truth, we truly can make a difference. And for that, we truly appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Ooh, so what is the value? I think, I think you know, when you pursue what you're really passionate about, when you find what, what it is for you, and I think for me, when you find your passion, it's finding what you're always curious about. Like you don't have to read a lot of books to find what you're passionate or curious about. It's naturally there. So it's just honing into it and letting that that voice speak more and around what are you more intrigued about? What problem do you want to solve? So not to always look at the solutions that you want to build, but what problem are you constantly passionate about and constantly create opportunities and new thinking around that problem? So then I think that's how you find what what your passion is. But um, why that matters is I think when every you know peer or individual around us can do that, 
then they not only inspire themselves, but they will continue to inspire those around them to find what is that problem? What can I continually change my thinking in? And how can I create, um, you know, opportunities and solutions um, around this problem? And I think when everyone does that is when the world will change and the world will move forward in a way that we all want to be a part of and, and want to live in for us and also for generations after us. Oh. I love it. Thank you so much, Angel. It's been absolutely awesome. Where can we learn more about you and Draw History? Um, I would love for everyone, um, you know, if they're interested to um, learn more about us um, on our website, that's just www.drawhistory.com. Um, and, you know, and again, um, we would love for you to, to get in contact with us. If there's something that inspires you that you want to chat more about, please contact me as well. Um, I would love to chat more with you all. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>